0: neck t-shirts, Doc Martin boots. I didn't do the whole retro thing, the stereotypical old-timey punk rock with the spikes and the leather. It was more of like a skater look, ripped up baggy clothes and flannel shirts. Of course, it was still a look that would throw off your more conservative suburban parents. The hardcore punk community was like a family. The group that I hung out with was comprised of all different types. There were skinheads, there were skaters, there were straight-edge punk rockers. Basically, they all hung out together because they were all different. They weren't jocks or preps or nerds. A lot of them were actually real screw-ups. I mean, some of them were really mean and wanted to drop out of school and drink and do drugs. I didn't do any of that, but yet I was still drawn to them. I was drawn to the lifestyle and the look, even though I had nothing in common with these people. My parents got divorced when I was 17. At the time, I really didn't see it coming. There was never any fighting, though at the same time they were never really especially affectionate towards one another. They coexisted, and that's what I was used to seeing. Looking back, it was pretty obvious they were unhappy, but at the time, it totally threw me for a loop. At first, my mom moved into the guest room. She stayed there until we sold the house. Then we moved into a little two-bedroom apartment in Norcross, Georgia. My brother Billy had one bedroom, and me and my mom shared the other one. Norcross was in a different school district, so for my present for my parents getting divorced, I got a car. That way, I didn't have to spend my senior year at a new high school, and I could finish at Lassiter. It was a used Chevrolet Spectrum, a little hatchback. It was really cute. Sharing a room with my mom at that age kind of sucked, though. My mom's attitude was, Well, I figured you'd be moving out after you were done with high school, so it wasn't worth spending more money to bump up to a three-bedroom apartment. Well, that was pretty much my plan, but it was still hard for the six months that I lived there. Fortunately, I had my car, so at least I was mobile. So in my senior year, I doubled up on classes, and in December of 92, I graduated with a bare minimum of 15 credits. The first thing I did after graduating was to start looking for an apartment. The one I found was in this great little house on Myrtle Street, right by Piedmont Park. It was subdivided into three apartments, the owner lived on the top floor, a family lived in the front apartment, and there was, like, another little part in the back, which was just perfect. Plus, it was cheap, $375 a month. I didn't really date anybody during the years I lived on Myrtle Street. I hooked up occasionally. In a way, it was like the whole rock and roll life was my boyfriend. Going to shows, meeting new people, making these nice little connections. That's all I needed at that point, and it was great. I lived on Myrtle Street for a little more than a year, and even though it was a really small apartment, I'd always let the bands crash there. If a band was passing through town and didn't have a place to stay, I always volunteered. I mean, my place is a shits, but you're more than welcome to sleep there. So many bands slept on the floor, Tilt, 15, I don't know, a million others. After a while, I felt like my life in Atlanta had gotten a little stagnant. It wasn't horrible, but I definitely felt like, been there, done that. I was talking to a friend of a friend, and he said, If you want, a bunch of us are getting a group house in D.C. We're still looking for people to live in the house, so you're welcome to move in with us. I decided, what the hell? Two weeks later, I packed up my stuff and headed for Washington, D.C. The group house was in Hyattsville, Maryland, which is just outside D.C. near the University of Maryland. It was a cool house. Four people could have lived there very comfortably. But for ten of us, it was a little crowded. It was nine guys and me. One of the guys, Ken Olden from the band Damnation, had a studio in the basement where he did all of his recording. He had some pretty expensive equipment in there, a high-quality 16-track setup, so a lot of other bands were coming by to record. It wasn't easy being the only girl in the house, and I really wasn't doing a whole lot with my life. I was working at a kennel and a groom shop, which was owned by the same guy who I worked for at an animal hospital in Atlanta. I decided I wanted to backpack through Europe, and I decided to start saving money. I set up a little schedule so that, come summertime, I would be ready to go. I was living in the laundry room for 80 bucks a month, and there weren't a whole lot of corners to cut. I was having trouble making my schedule, so I explored some other options. In the beginning of 1995, one of my roommates told me that a girl that we knew, Shauna, was working as a stripper. Really, I never would have guessed that. The next time I saw Shauna, I asked her about what she was doing. She was totally cool about it. She's like, why don't you come down for one night and just observe? And if you think it's something that you could do, I'll let you borrow an outfit and you can have a tryout. A few nights later, I went down there. The strip club was called the Royal Palace. It was owned by a Vietnamese family and looked just like a Chinese restaurant which is what all the girls that worked there called it. People would ask what they did for a living, and they'd say, yeah, I work at that Chinese restaurant. I watched Shauna do her thing, and I was totally impressed. She was like a punk rock girl like me, with really short, spiky hair, but there she was on stage with a little bob wig, pearl necklace, and high heels. She looked like a sexy little 20s flapper. Afterwards, I thanked her for letting me come down and check it out. Shauna told me to think about it, and if I wanted, she set up an audition for me. I started talking about it with a few friends, but I couldn't really decide if it was something that I wanted to do. I sat on it, and I sat on it. About a month later, somebody asked me if I'd ever gone down to the audition. Something about it just hit my button. Fine, I thought. I'm going to go down there, I'm going to go have the audition, they're going to laugh at me, and then that'll be that. I'm not going to get hired, but at least I did it. Sitting there in the royal palace, I wasn't really nervous, even though it was a completely alien experience. I watched some of the other girls to see what they did. It's the same with wrestling. If there's a move I've never done before, I can usually watch someone do it, then go mimic it, kind of pull off my own version. When my time came, I got up there and I did it. It was only a 15-minute set, but it felt like two hours. It was definitely awkward in the high heels, but I just held onto the poles the whole time, because if I didn't, I probably would have fallen on my face. When I finished, the owner of Mr. Quee hired me on the spot. He had like a really thick accent, the kind you have to get used to in order to understand. He was telling me the deal, saying, anytime I call you, $40 day or night. Anytime I call, you come. Well, I didn't know the first thing about the strip club business, so I thought Mr. Quee was saying that anytime he called me, I had to come have sex with him for $40 (laughs) day or night. I was totally freaked out. I listened to him, just nodding my head, thinking, okay, bye. Mr. Quee just stood there smiling. I turned to Shauna and asked him, what the hell is he talking about? She explained what Mr. Quee was really saying, that I would get shift pay of $40 on top of whatever tips I made, And I would also get a couple dollars for every drink that I sold. There were these glasses of cranberry juice that we called champagne. Needless to say, I was pretty relieved. My lease at the group house had expired, and to be honest, the whole arrangement had pretty much run its course. My friend Lucy, who had met when I first came up to Washington, we decided to move in together. We found a one-bedroom place in downtown D.C. in a neighborhood called Mount Pleasant. The apartment was in a row house, so we actually had a little backyard, which was totally cool. There was also a little alley where we parked our cars, and the rent was $680 a month, which was expensive, but I was making pretty good money dancing. I ended up stripping off and on for almost four years, all the way through the beginning of my wrestling career. When I started working on the indies, I danced three double shifts in a row in order to make enough money to afford to not get paid anything for all the wrestling and still have the lights on in my house. I was pulling in really good money. On an average shift, I'd leave there with $200 to $400. Probably the best night I ever had, though, I took home 900 bucks. By this time, I'd begun seeing an old boyfriend, Beau, again. We had always had this really strong attraction, and it was still there. We talked on the phone a few times, and pretty soon we started dating again. It was a casual thing at first, because I was in D.C. and he was in Richmond, but we both felt good about it, so I decided to move to Richmond. I found a place in this little area in downtown Richmond called Jackson Ward. It was an old split-level house divided into two apartments upstairs and downstairs. I rented the whole house, and then sublet the bottom floor to friends. Right after I moved in, Bo's band went on a long tour, which left me all alone in a new town. I kind of knew a few people, but only because Bo had introduced me around like, hey, this is my girlfriend, be nice to her, out of obligation to me type thing. When Bo was around, things between us were pretty good. He didn't officially move in, but he stayed over a lot. One Monday night, I was doing things around the house and I heard him yelling at the TV. What are you watching, I asked. WCW Nitro, he said. He tried to explain what was going on, who all the characters were, but I just thought wrestling was silly. To me, wrestling was just a bunch of rednecks fake-punching each other. A lot of overweight guys and speedos being really bad actors. It wasn't until I saw luchadors on Nitro that my preconceived notion of wrestling had begun to change. The luchador who really captured my attention was Rey Mysterio Jr. He was like nothing I'd ever seen before. I was intrigued by so many things, his mysterious mask, his small size, his unbelievable athletic ability. He was doing such cool moves, his acrobatic high-flying style that was completely different from what I was used to seeing when I happened upon wrestling on TV. I found myself really getting into it. I couldn't help myself. I cared about what happened to this little guy in the mask. I began watching Nitro every week. In the beginning, I just loved watching only the Luchadors wrestle. But it wasn't before long, I found myself becoming more and more involved in the storylines. Before I knew it, I was hooked. The more I watched, the more I thought about becoming a wrestler. I had no idea how I would go about doing such a thing, but I knew that I wanted to be part of this magical, colorful world. Of course, the role of women in wrestling was really different then. There were no serious female wrestlers. Women were managers or valets or some sort of eye candy. But that really didn't matter to me. I didn't care if all I did was stand outside the ring or just be a pawn for the storylines, but I wanted to learn how to wrestle. I knew that I wanted to get into the wrestling business, but I still had no idea...